Traveling the Vortex. We've joined a doctor as he travels the vortex and landed episode number 252. In this podcast, you'll hear no puns. It's a line in the sand, no puns. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? And no banter either. No banter. I'm against banter. I'm against banter. I'm on record as being uh-huh. against banter. <laughs> <laughs> did you guys have a good week? Yes. <laughs> I bet you did, Glenn. The future is here. <laughs> no, yeah, I was off all week, so uh, which was timed Even perfectly. <laughs> Timed perfectly, because you know all I did this week was Back to the Future stuff. That was, <laughs> Wednesday I celebrated. <laughs> you got all of them watched on Wednesday. I got you? them all watched. I wa- in addition to Back, uh, in, back time. in Time. I yeah. got up. I got up early. Uh, took the kids to school. Came home. The first thing I did was uh, watch Back in Time, uh, which was a great documentary. It's really really good. It was fun. Yeah, yeah it was. It, it was a lot it was of fun. Uh, I like how they did it in the three parts, where they started with the film and getting it made. And the connections yeah. to the future, and then the middle bus part was the fans, and they dwelled on the kind of the, the DeLorean most in that one, but and then kind of went As back to <laughs> you know where does it go from here kind of thing. And I, I I thought it was really well put together, and it was it was quite enjoyable. And I like that because when I went and I did my rewatch of all three movies, I went ahead and watched some of the bonus features on the 25th anniversary Blu-rays, which I hadn't watched before. And there were some similar stories told, but they were different enough that yes. I didn't feel like it was repeated. It wasn't rehashed. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Like some of the origin stuff, yeah, you can't change that too much of how the movie got made. But then there was a lot of it in there that was different enough from the bonus features, which was nice. It was. It was good. It was real, real well put together. And smarter than they'll release it on Wednesday on oh, Netflix. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Netflix had it apparently um, Hoopla Digital, which is the oh, library yeah, model. You yeah. could get it there as well. And I think I saw Amazon had it. It would make sense. They had all three actual films, yeah. too. So it was nice that there was there were avenues for people to see that on yeah. that day, too. I thought that was a nice, nice job getting that uh, orchestrated. And I watched Back to the Future, and then I went to the mall. Because I thought, I want some Back to the Future stuff. Surely I can find a T-shirt <laughs> or I can find a hat or something. I walked over all over our mall. Well, actually, uh, I wanna, I'm going to call Sean out here first. Because <clears throat> I went to Vintage Stock. Because I thought, of all the places in town that would be celebrating Back to the Future Day, of all places, Vintage Stock would have something going on. I didn't expect a DeLorean in the parking lot. <laughs> but I went in. I tried. Joe Pace is too expensive. And my first thought was, surely they'll be playing the soundtrack. No, they had some mainstream group that I don't know anything about, never heard of before in my life. So I walked through the store thinking, okay, well, maybe the because they have movies on sometimes, surely the movie will be playing in the background, even if they don't have the sound up. No film whatsoever. So I walked through, and I'm, a, I'm apprised later that there apparently was a display or end cap somewhere that I did not see. It's certainly not at the front of the store. Because um, I couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, walked around and I thought, well, at the very least, I'll see if they've got the Back to the Future game that I can pick up on the 360. Forgetting that it was it's a download only on the 360. No, it's available um, now. It is available. And we okay. had it. It was, a, and it was you, on the front end. Camp. It must have been on where you were keeping it because I looked in the 360. Um, and, but anyway, I, so I looked around the store and I walked out of there with my head hung thinking, wow, this is pretty lame. <laughs> so I went to the mall because I thought I want to look at a hot topic. Can I, I rebut before you I get w- into Go all ahead, that? go ahead. So the uh, game was on the very front end cap with all the new release games. 
Oh, I didn't think about going to the. There new was a Back to the Future end cap that was set up. Admittedly, it was in the back of the store a little bit because I had it up it front, been front center, center first thing. Yeah, it should have been earlier this year, and then as time wore on and nobody was buying it, it kind of got shuffled a little further to the back of the store to make room for the new stuff. Makes but sense. when I came in at two, it was up still. When I came in at two. The trilogy went in the in the DVD well, I player. I knew as soon as she got to work, on, it was going to happen. And everything got moved right up But the right store had already been open cooler. four hours before oh, that. You should have had that ahead. Not you, my circus, You should have given them monkeys a heads up the day before and said, make sure this stuff's going because you're going to have people come in in the morning. Yeah. Now, admittedly, I was going to go back after you went, after you got to work, because I knew that once you got to work, it would be <laughs> wall to wall. But uh, I didn't make it back out. Um, so anyway, I went to the mall and I went to Booms and they, Boom and they had the Back to the Future comics, so I picked that up. And actually, <laughs> I want to say charge you for that. Variant. I was uh, it was the same price. The both of them, really? Covered. Yeah, they charged charge me cover mm. price for both. But I looked at it. Oh, was the thing is because I was only going to get the one, the newsstand one, and I looked at the other one and I went, "This is so cool." I don't buy variants. Uh, it's Back to the Future Day at Celebration. <laughs> it's only going to come <laughs> once ever. I could have bought the comic book any day, but it was so special that day that I bought the variant cover. And so I took them home, and I was online for a little bit, and I remembered that the – oh, I had remembered from the um, – It's yeah. Yeah. that's the regular color cover. Yeah. Oh, did we get – okay. I didn't yeah. realize that. Um, anyway, so – I uh, I got home and I remembered the Eric Stoltz stuff that they had talked a little bit about in Back in Time and I thought you know they they did a comic book for that a few oh did they a year ago I guess it was it's called Back to Back to the Future and the premise of the comic is what if Bob Gale and this other actress that was fired at the same time that Eric Stoltz went back in time and caused it so that. Uh, Eric Stoltz skin didn't get fired, and Back to the Future was made with uh, Eric Stoltz instead of uh, Michael J. Fox. And I thought well, this has always been kind of intriguing. So I went to Amazon, and they had a Kindle version of it for seven bucks. Is that the one you okay. reviewed? Yeah, on Goodreads. So I downloaded it and I read it, and it's 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 a quick read. It's it was in, it came out in five parts. The one that's online is an anthology. It's the entire collection, mm-hmm. but um, it's in five parts, and it's really quick read because it's it's almost two panels a page most of the time sometimes three. Oh wow and so i sat down and i read it and immediately regretted my seven dollar purchase uh <laughs> it's a horrible 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 terrible story it's not good at all the only reason i gave it two stars on goodreads is because the artwork is amazing so it bumped up a star for me for that <laughs> so it got a little more than it probably should have but have you read the, the actual comic you picked up I did, I, and then good? that's what I did after that. Is read the yeah, yeah. it's the, the it's, new one good. Yeah, it's called uh, when Doc met no when Marty met Doc, Doc or Doc, when Doc met Marty. I think is what it's called. That's the and it is cute. It's it's, it's really neat. Uh, is this so a continuing line? I know? watched the okay. well. It is a continuing line of comics because it, I think what it's going to do is it, it takes place at least it's set up and bookend with Doc still in the old west trying to. <clears throat> perfect the uh time travel again so that he can with the train so he can the boys are very young in fact this is he's telling this story of oh, how he met marty okay. to the kids and that's how they that's how the story is set jules up so and Vern. yeah jules and Vern. <laughs> so it's, it's really it's really well set up so i watched the taste of the other one out of my mouth by reading that one and then uh, later in the afternoon i fired up back to future 2 and watched it and went 
And interestingly <laughs> enough, I fired it up about the time. It was I think I was off by about a half hour. About the time uh. that <laughs> they actually arrive at like four something, four yeah. something in the afternoon, which would have been six something our time because it's oh, yeah, California. And so I went, hey, huh, there's kind of a bit of serendipity. <laughs> so um, watched I was it. able to get the future part of Back to the Future 2 watched before it hit midnight. So I was able to get all the future stuff in before they get back to the alternate ah, 1980s. I see what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> before it turned over gotcha, to the 22nd. Gotcha. So I uh, watched that, and then uh, after Mason went to bed, uh, I dug out the Back to the Future game that I have, which is similar to, and it's actually very similar to Chrono. Oh, the card game, yeah. Very similar, yeah, the card game. And so we set it up, and I read the instructions. It's a good thing I did because there's a little bit of deviation from the Chrononauts game. So it made it easier to play knowing how to play Chrononauts, but there is a little bit of difference. In fact, the, the, the goal is you have to get everything on your card, your ID card, the way it needs to be, and you have to stop time travel from being invented because huh. that kind of locks everything into place. And so what you do is there's one set of cards on the B line that the one side is uh, Doc Brown invents time travel. The other side of it is Doc Brown hangs a clock, <laughs> which I think was brilliant because Doc Brown was hanging a clock when yeah. he slipped and fell and hit his head. And if he had hung a clock, he wouldn't have fallen, slipped and <laughs> hit his head and invented time travel or came up with a flux capacitor anyway. The other cool thing about it is there's a stat. That's the only card in the whole timeline that has four cards underneath it. And what you do is if you turn it over and it's the right one that says Doc hangs a clock, you've you've entered the game and you win. If you turn it over and it says um, unseen forces uh, prevent this uh, event from happening, you set that aside and Doc has still created a time machine. So you have to get it to the point where you've turned the right card over and they're shuffled. So you could turn it over the first time or you could turn it over four times later if it's buried at the bottom. That's cool. So I thought that That's was really neat. Cool. Yeah, it gives you an option to get to keep going if you have to. Um, so that was a lot of fun. So Kate, and Caitlin had a little hard time wrapping her head around about we got We got a game or two in. And then uh, after that, the girls went to bed and I fired up Back to the Future <laughs> 3 and watched it. And I actually finished watching Back to the Future 3, I think, at like 12, 30, or 1 o'clock. Oh. <laughs> so I didn't get quite all of them in in that one day, but I figured a day is while I'm up. So I had to spread my viewings out three days <laughs> and then parse back in time through multiple ah. viewings. So I ended the day. Actually, that was it. I was going to go to bed after that. I was done. I was like, this is the perfect end cap of the day. And then I went, oh, I forgot to watch the game, or the ride. <laughs> so I, I went, ahead and, went ahead and fired up the ride and watched the ride because I loved the ride. It was so cool. It's cheesy, but it's so good. It's so funny. Uh, so that was how I ended my day was watching Back to the Future of the Ride. Did anybody pick up the uh, the new Blu-ray set? No. I did not. I okay, I did. Have oh, you, you did? I haven't picked up the, the animated set? adventures. No. Uh, that I'm going to buy. I'm going to buy the animated adventures, but I'm going to buy it separately because I've already got the 25th anniversary. Trip. Well, here's yeah. the deal. The new Blu-ray set, whether you buy the big, huge, honking one that's got everything, or you can buy just the trilogy on Blu-ray. Um, but for you, if you're wanting the animated series too, you could upgrade. It includes everything. Well, every single thing that's on the 25th um, anniversary, um, including oh, the ride. Good. Yeah. Okay. Plus, good. there's another bonus disc. For yeah, that's stuff. what I've heard. Yeah. Uh, um, now, the animated adventures is also on its own set, and the animated adventures is yeah, so that's separate, what I'll probably which is what I'm going to wind up doing because I looked at the, I, I really wanted the. Big all set with the light up flux capacitor. One hundred fifty dollars <laughs> retail. No, it's uh, in fact, uh, 
Walmart had it for sale for sixty nine fifty nine. Yeah, the whole, suggested resale for the whole shebang. Yeah, wow, was one forty nine. We're selling it for seventy nine. Yeah, which you know nobody sells up for suggested yeah, resale. Nobody <laughs> well, we do, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean it, it was it was affordable, but Target had an exclusive steelbook. Yeah, for the trilogy, like, uh, and that was what Mel wanted. So it was like, okay, we'll get that, and then I'll just pick up the. As long as it's got all the same so you stuff, didn't have and I'm not missing before? anything. No, I had it. I've got oh, the 25th you, you anniversary okay. set, but it makes too. sense since you buy steel books. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, well, that's that's when the, the catch well. was: is like, do I buy both? Because I kind of want this box because it's got the animated series in it, but I don't need both if I'm going to have that. And then it was like, oh, the animated series is available separately, so I'll buy it. But one of the bonus features on that set is a short film called Doc oh. Brown Saves the World. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God, it was awesome! <laughs> he, he He's talking to... It's Christopher Lloyd as Doc Brown. Don't he, spoil it for us. He's, you he's, can set it up. He, he's talking to the camera, and he's kind of explaining that um, a catastrophe befalls mankind in the year 2045, and that he's backtracked everything to four inventions. The hydrator... Lace-up shoes. <laughs> Power-lace shoes. Power-lace shoes. Um, hoverboards. <coughs> and flying cars. And flux... Or uh, Mr. Fusion. Mr. Fusion. Oh, okay. And the, those four combine together to create this. <laughs> so he goes back in time to prevent all of them from being invented. <laughs> thus skewing the timeline. Into, and it's it's genius. Oh, I forgot to mention that as I was watching... back to Getting ready to watch Back to Future 3... On my timeline on Facebook popped up a picture of Jimmy Kimmel oh. and Doc Brown and Marty. And yeah. I went, that's awesome. And I looked at the clock and it was 10, 10.30 and I went, I bet this is going to happen. So I t- it, was like, it was almost like I had a copy of the newspaper <laughs> from the day next day. And so I, said, I think this is going to happen. So I turned over and got to watch live Oh, nice. Mar- Marty McFly and Doc Brown show up on Jimmy Kimmel, which was <laughs> and, and, and Dave Euler, one of our friends, said it the best. Jimmy Kimmel won the day. Yeah. <laughs> he had them on in character and they both looked like they were having a blast. And it was and I agree with somebody posted later that this was the first time they've seen Michael J. Fox really act like he was enjoying this character again. Because a lot of times you see him in interviews and he's kind of he's a little put offish of it. And I think it's because it's just become such a big part of his life and yeah. he's, you know, done other things and and even in the interviews throughout the day, because I watched the Today Show interview and some of the other things he'd done, he he seemed very into it. But it was still sort of that level of, you know, you know, this is just something that was a part of my life. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I owed a lot to it. But when he came on stage and they both just went right back into character. Now, well, Christopher it, Lloyd. It helps that there was that 10-minute-long standing ovation just roaring oh, yeah. noise from yeah. the audience. It was, oh, it was, it was just now, goosebumps. Christopher just. Lloyd, you could tell he's getting on an age, and he was struggling with some of his lines. But I'll tell you, Jimmy jumped in and helped him out a lot of times. Oh, and it just nice. made everything go so That was all techno, techno babble. Yeah, it was just yeah, it was yeah. really that. and Because you know they probably got the script the day of. Yeah. <laughs> they oh, probably yeah. only had one or two rehearsals of it. Um, but yeah, they just they pulled it off, and I, I watched that thing, and I thought, wow. I don't usually watch Jimmy Kimmel. I'm not a fan of his show, but I went. This guy did an amazing thing here, so I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. <laughs> did you get to see? I didn't. I didn't watch it. It's online now. It is, yeah, it's totally I need online, to go watch available it. To watch it. And, and the, they're they're there, and they're on stage, and they roll. I saw up the pictures the with the, the, the whole the yeah. whole bit, which is great. And then the other special guest shows up. The one in the audience. Oh, 
<laughs> I forgot about Huey. <laughs> oh, Huey is is in the audience in the the getup with a bullhorn. Hey guys, you're just too darn loud. Yeah, was, I forgot about that. It That's was right. awesome. Well, and then as they as they uh, they played out to commercial, they played Power of Love, and he was oh, singing too. Yeah, and it was the really news. Cool. They were all up in the was, uh, oh cool. In the or no, it was back in time. It was uh, oh, it was yeah. back in time. Yeah, it was back in time. But yeah, it was, was the greatest thing. <laughs> it was the cherry on top of the sun. Of course, throughout the day, I was going on YouTube and wa- I watched the Power of Love video because that's a great video too. Because Doc rolls up at the beginning; oh, it's one yeah. of those extended videos. And I just and I watched the Nike Air commercial from about five years ago, where he comes in and he's five years too early. <laughs> to find, they've actually got the shoes, but they don't have the power laces yet. So. Yeah, yeah. So that, I I just had a blast all day long. I was just, I, you know, this is my day. I'm going to immerse myself in one of my favorite fandoms, and I did from beginning to end. That's all I did all day was just, this is Back to the Future Day. It's <laughs> one time it's going to happen. And now the the sad part of this is the meme that I saw circulating later in the day when somebody put two and two together and said, "You realize that as of Thursday." This entire trilogy takes place in the past. <laughs> yeah, I saw that pop up on Tuesday. And I went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I'm old now. There was a lot of great memes online. I was impressed at how well the movies... It's been a while since I've watched them, but it's, I was oh, impressed with how well they hold up. Yeah. Some, some of the shots of mostly when it's the two act, the same actor twice... Is a bit more noticeable than it used to be for me, anyways. But seamless, such good movies. I did have a realization while watching three that you liked it more than you thought you did. Well, actually, yeah, a little bit. But <laughs> at that point, Doc Brown's like in his sixties. Get on him. Finding a love interest that late in life. <laughs> You know he got She's a re- not, he got the rejuvenation uh, yeah. treatment in the uh, yeah I kind of I thought of future, that I was like, yeah, so yeah, okay. he's he's in his sixties but now he's really like he's in his thirties again you <laughs> the sixties is the new thirties right exactly <laughs> from the doc's <laughs> perspective sixty is the new thirty and I never noticed how much before I, I think I always knew it in the back of my head how many like especially in the future of Marty's playing all or Michael J Fox is playing all of his kids I never noticed how much before. Never noticed the daughter as much as I did this time. How, wow, that really is Mar- uh, Michael J. Fox <laughs> dressed as a woman. All right. Yeah, and I think he, I think he pulled they it did, off. And well, they did a good job of yeah. obscuring his eyes most of the whole time, right. so you can't really tell. Right. With the, the cell phones. Yeah. It's the I, voice I think sometimes that it's like, yeah. I think Seamus McFly is the greatest uh, oh, yeah. side character that he plays. <laughs> oh, <in the> yeah. <laughs> Maggie, gotta hurt man. <laughs> I love this, this, this. There's just nothing. Well, the line at perfect. the end, the All line at the line near the end where he shows up at the uh, uh, saloon when Martin, Marty's supposed to go out and face down Biff, and he shows up, and they say the bartender says, "I didn't expect to see you in here," and he says. I just felt like I had to be here, like like my my future had something to do with it. I was like, oh my gosh, what a great line. Like, my future depended on it. <laughs> that was the one thing, that really, to take out of that back-in-time documentary was the, 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 the perfectness of the script of the first film. Oh, yeah. I've maintained up and down and will to my dying day that it's a perfect trilogy because 
everything works. Even the stuff that seems forced, like, oh, I can't let them think I'm a chicken. It's like, I don't care where that comes from because it pays off at the end. It, does, and it, yeah. it just everything works. But the first film in particular, that script is airtight. There's oh, yeah. Absolutely. You can do oh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. The, the first film. You can pick apart the two and three a little the, bit the, if you yeah, want they, to nitpick. But it, it, is, it is. They should teach that in film school. Well, it it's wasn't until. <clears throat> it really wasn't until I watched it again. And I think even the back in time pointed this out was that. So many films about the future are about how, you know, drab and dystopian and how, you know, apocalyptic and the future is and how it's such a, a, a down look on the future. And Back to the Future 2 is really this bright, uplifting, fun, hopeful future. Yeah. And I, I like that about it. And it just it really kind of hit home that, yeah, this is one of the few films that does that. Well, and it's very much an updated 50s vibe. The, oh, all yeah, all of the beats that they hit when he winds up back in Hill Valley of the 50s and sees the self-service gas station and has his mind blown that that was a thing. And then when there's the automated Texaco <laughs> and it just, it's it's kind of, you know, beat for beat. The, yeah. the, this, it's the same. And, and the 50s, I think we are at the very least fondly remember them as this very well, and, time. So. Yeah, yes, and yes. The, the 50s we see in Back to the Future is very much a nostalgic version of the 50s. Yeah. It's not right, romanticized. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 50s, yeah. I love that when one of the, I can't remember if it was Back in Time or in the bonus features on the Blu-ray, how they're talking about how we didn't mean to invent the hoverboard. We just were trying to do a cool riff off what we did in the first film, and it just happened that we had to be invented this hoverboard. That's I had forgotten. That's a logical until evolution. Until Zemeckis came out in that I interview. I had forgotten. Oh, no, those were real. Yeah, I had forgotten years ago. I remember all of us ba- falling for that. Oh, that yeah. oh, yeah, hoverboards are real. Robert Zemeckis said it in an interview. I remember that. We were so baited on that for so long. Well, they're real. They just won't, you know, they, they don't want kids to have them because they're too dangerous. And somebody's, somebody's kid had their dad write a letter to Universal or somebody saying, or Hasbro, I think it was, saying, it's okay to release the hoverboard. You, you have my permission. My son can have one. <laughs> Are you kidding? Oh, I, I was never so disappointed with any <laughs> shopping experience in my life as when I finally went down to Universal Studios and went to the Back to the Future of the Ride and then got into the gift shop because I'd brought money. <laughs> I had a hundred. I had a hundred and I was going to buy. I figured this has got to be where they sell them at, right? They've, surely there's hoverboards available in the gift shop at the Back to the Future Experience. Nope. Anyway, <laughs> enough about Back to the Future. I, I, did, did, get a, I did get a hoverboard, though. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You did get a hoverboard. <laughs> I, we, we just, we, earlier this month, we saw Loot Crate was time-themed. So we're like, we have to get that. Oh, duh. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it was a one-fifth scale hoverboard on a nice... Working. Uh, I saw it. He had a picture of it. It was hovering off his desk. It's got a, it's got a really nice uh, mirror base. So you can see the bottom of it. Unfortunately, it is permanently attached to the base, so you can't remove it, which is a little disappointing for me. But, you know. And then we got a pop figure, an exclusive Doc Brown with goggles and clamps of electricity. (laughs) It also included a Bill and Ted shirt that says, Be Excellent to Each Other. And a Sonic Spork. (laughs) (laughs) So it's the Sonic Screwdrivers, the handle, and a metal spork on the end. Nice. And like all three, I think all four are... Loot crate exclusive things. So, and there's a nice in the book. Usually, there's a book that comes with all of them. One side it's the uh, out of time license plate, and then the other side is a flow chart of which doctors you should choose. 
The first bit of news. There's going to be a canine movie. Uh-huh. Called Canine Timequake. Set for cinemas in 2017. So. Well, keep, keep going. Because there's going. a bigger, I'm going. Really important <laughs> part of the story. To me, there was story. a bigger important thing about <laughs> the this <film> story. The <laughs> film has been written by one of Canine's original creators, Bob Baker. Who has written many Doctor Who serials. Here's the description. Wait, where is it? Where did it go? Oh, the new canine will be appearing in a multi-million dollar movie, which promises to be a great action adventure set in deep space. The film will be full of dashing heroes and heroines, androids and monstrous aliens, and an ultimate foe who will also be familiar to Doctor Who fans everywhere, the megalomaniac Omega. No word on who's playing Omega. 2017. And for those curious, it is the most recent incarnation of K9, not the classic one we all know and love. It's the one from the TV series. The, yeah, the, yeah. The new, because the it's the one that I think it was Bob on has the rights to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the, not the classic Which one. May, if, makes me wonder if we're going to actually get Time Lord Omega, or if they're just cleverly going to name the villain Omega, and we won't, it won't have any connection to the Time Lords whatsoever because of the fact that this is done outside of the BBC and outside of any licensing Bob, that would be necessary. Did Bob so, Baker write the Three Doctors? He uh, that's what I'm looking have. up now. If yeah. he did, then we're good. But he, he still can't say – he probably can't say Time Lord. He probably can't – I mean there's probably certain things that he can't oh, connect to Omega to. Oh, yeah. All right, so but Omega is such a generic name. I'm he sure did that write the, BBC, the three doctors. He did. Okay, so I but I meant I bet Omega Curiously, is not something that you even if you copyrighted it, you couldn't copyright it. It's just such a generic. Yeah. Term, Unless it was the so. name of your show, right? Maybe right, then. Maybe but. Uh, he did not write Omega's second appearance, Arc of Infinity. Yeah, he must have licensed the character out though. Yeah, he to him. Interesting. So here's like exciting. Okay. I'll go see it in the theater. So <laughs> I just don't like couple, here's a couple of things about this, though. When you say 2017, a lot can happen between now and then. So I can't get too excited about it, although I think it's it's very thrilling right now. Secondly, I, I have not a lot of hope seen, it's going to come out over here. I haven't seen the series yet that aired on the CBBC, I think it was. Yeah. Have you guys seen it yet? No, no. Okay, yet. so – First of all, put, uh, write that down and put that on the schedule. It doesn't have to be in the stuff immediate. You can put it down in your For the Future file. Um, but you need to put it down Before 2017. Before 2017, yeah. Before well, it comes gonna, out. We're going to treat it like another Doctor Who spinoff, and we'll do the whole season in one. Yeah, yeah. So, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think so. Um, so, I, I, I again, I, I have no point of reference, but from Doctor Who fans – I've never heard good things about the series, <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm reserving judgment until I actually see the series proper, and then I'm still going to hold judgment and not automatically judge the film that hasn't oh, yeah, come out absolutely. yet based on the series, but I am a little skeptical about it just because of the fact that it hasn't been smiled on very favorably by the fans of Doctor Who, so... But yeah, exciting news. K nine Omega, bring it on. And it's kind of weird form. that the uh, at least they spin off have... gets a cinematic movie before. <laughs> and here's the other question: Do you think we'll get it here in the states? Yeah, I don't yeah, think we. I'd be surprised if we did. So. At least they still have John Leeson doing the voice. I'm assuming yeah. for the movie they did for the series. They did so for I don't the know why they wouldn't bring him on for the. Put me down for five on the mud. <laughs> 
Our next bit of news, we have some con announcements. First up, if you are going to be in near St. Louis or Madison coming up, David Tennant. David Tennant. 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 Well, you've only had David Tannen. Four drinks of that beer. David Tannant. <laughs> and Billy Piper will be at the said convention. David Piper and Billy Tennant is going to be at. Uh, St. Louis is April 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of next year. And Madison is April 9th, 10th, 8th, 9th, and 10th of, of next year. And to add on to that, January 8th, 9th, and 10th of this year in New Orleans, Matt Smith, Karen Gillen, and Jenna Coleman will all be at the New Orleans Wizard World Convention. That's cool. That's a nice lineup right there. Only one person, a couple people missing from that lineup. Arthur Darville and Alex Kingston was all you need to round out the perfect trifecta. Well, and Peter Capaldi. I do. <laughs> and I imagine he's a trifle busy at the moment. <laughs> Other guests. Uh, Galley has announced quite the big guests. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who's coming to Galley, Sean? Sir John Hurt. And it hurts. <laughs> I, I, Sir John and the Hurts. Sounds like a band. <laughs> First, kudos to Galley for wow. pulling off the stunt casting of the century with getting that guest lineup. I mean, you've got John Hurt. What? And, um, yeah, just drive that nail in the coffin of my not going next year <laughs> a little deeper and a little harder. Um, cause it's, uh, but yeah, that's, um, pretty amazing. Uh, they're also bringing back Jamie Matheson and Rachel Tillet, uh, writer extraordinaire of Flatline Mummy on the Iron Express and this year's The Girl Who Died. Rachel Tillet was the director of Dark Water, Death in Heaven and this year's Heaven Sent, Hell Bent combo. Um, the usual assortment of other, um, uh, writers and, uh, peeps that, uh, They've had previously are back again, uh, as well as Colin Baker. Um, I think that's I, neat. I don't know if that was in three doctors. Yeah, three doctors. Yeah. You've got Peter. That's Davidson, the Colin most Baker, they've had. John Hurt. Gallifrey, right? It ties the most they've had. I think. Oh, has it? Okay. I, I, I don't remember which. Certainly, in the time that I've been going, it was been yeah. two was the right, most. But right. um, I want to say there was another year where they had three of them, but it could be wrong. Frequently, am so. <laughs> So jealous. So yeah, if you have tickets to Galley, hoard them. <laughs> Unless you really can't go, in which case uh, I know some guys here uh, around the table would be happy to uh, struggle to uh, figure out a way to take those tickets off your hands for this year. Struggle how to get there. Uh, so we thought we'd also give a nice little roundup of other uh, Who conventions coming up. Uh L.I. Who, Long Island's Doctor Who 3 convention, uh, November 13th through the 15th, we'll see Paul McGann, Noel Clark, Katie Manning, Camille Coudry, Carol Ann Ford, Dan Starkey, Janet Fielding, Annette Badland, Fraser Hines, Ian McNeese, Wendy Pradbury, and Derek Sherwin, along with Daphne Asbrook and Mel's. <laughs> you still can't pronounce her name. Nina Tassant White. Hey. There you go. Look at that. You've been practicing, haven't you? Yes, I have. 
Uh, Chicago TARDIS coming up in uh, November the 27th through the 29th, uh, which is, again, thanks, I believe it's, again, Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, in Chicago. In short, well, uh, four short weeks. <laughs> technically, Lombard, Illinois. Yeah. Um, but it's Chicago TARDIS. Uh, appearing Saturday only, Jenna Coleman. Uh, other guests include, all three days include Paul McGann and Sam Anderson, who played Danny Pink. Uh, the always lovely Nicholas Briggs. And... Uh, I think we've talked about most of their guest lineup before, but uh, it does briefly include Richard Franklin, Bern Gorman, Jason Hayellery, David Howe, Christopher Jones, Finn Jones, Tony Lee, and uh, John Levine, and Katie Manning, and Sarah Louise Madison, and Ian McNeese, and Eve Miles, <laughs> and Dan Starkey, and Gary Russell. They've added some people, apparently. Since the last time I looked. It keeps growing. <laughs> So they've got a good lineup as well. So if you're near one of these conventions, go check them out. And we should round out our convention talk with the official announcement that Time Eddy 2 is taking place. October 14th through the 16th, you can go get discount registration now, as well as discounted rooms. Uh, right now, you can get a weekend pass for 44 bucks. That's dirt cheap, folks. That's really That's dirt, dirt cheap. cheap. Yeah. Uh, I, no paid, guess- I paid that for one of my days, <laughs> for just one day. This year. And it will not be extended up through Thanksgiving, you have. Uh, you enter the discount code K9. It's all on their website. New website, timeeddy.com also. Good. You must have had enough money to buy that out from somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I have not seen if it's the same venue. Let me go look. It is at the same venue. No, good. I, it was a great yeah, venue. It, was a good it, it, was, it worked out really well. And uh, I'm sure, what was it, Comfort Inn? Uh, Best Western Best North. Best Western North, yeah. I, mean, I, I think we must have. they must have uh, been very impressed with our uh, hospitality. We were impressed with their hospitality. We, mm-hmm. They must have been impressed with our, um, what am I looking for, uh, Gravitas, <laughs> whatever we presented there to them to – um, be willing to hold it again for us, so yeah. we didn't ruin it for anybody. <laughs> oh, I don't mean us three in particular. <laughs> I wondered where I you mean, were going us, with us. that. I was like, what fans, did we do? Did no, I get our, an email that I missed? No, or? Doctor Who fans Doctor who, who fans. are okay. always a wonderful group of people. Obviously, behaved themselves well enough that the Best Western thought that it was uh, worthwhile to bring worthwhile us back. to bring us back. <laughs> yes, so I don't want to get Keith too excited. The guest page for Time Many Two, there's nothing listed. They said, oh. you know, in progress. But there is a picture of K9, they, so maybe that means time, something. Time Eddie is promising what is returning. Tulsa TARDIS. Yay. Cosplays. Yay. Uh, fan panels, same venue, open access vibe. Uh, they are promising new different guests from various eras of the show, more vendors, more fan participation activities, a live music event, murder mystery sci-fi event, which additional Would you contact Kieran and tell him they can promise traveling the vortex? I will. <laughs> and I more canines. More canines. It's listed on the on the item. More canines. Maybe perhaps even the man who voiced canines. <laughs> I paid forty five for that. <laughs> That's it in news. Let's move on to feedback. Our first bit of feedback. I like how there's that pause. Like, maybe this will be the week he has a song. And <laughs> there isn't. Know. And then he continues. But every week, there's just a little bit of a pause. You just keep pausing. Just in case. I, I, I was this close to writing one. 
to the tune Back in Time. But <laughs> I just didn't get it done. We could just sing Back in Time. <laughs> <laughs> it works. That would be tell, tell me, Doctor. Time. <laughs> didn't, we do oh, that didn't I do that one once? Did you do Feedback Time? Maybe you did. I don't remember. I don't remember. Remember so me. should I dig back into the archive? <laughs> We're going to have to go back now. <laughs> Insert it. Oh, hold on. Let me go look now and see. You can continue on with your your, your feedback question. i got to go look this up now. Thanks, Glenn. Uh, our first bit of feedback comes from Theta Sigma. You did do back in time. I remember it now. In fact, I think that might be on our YouTube page. It might have been the one time I videoed <laughs> you doing it. Uh, okay. You did do back in time. I'm certain you did. Okay, well, then Sean's gonna go confirm. I, I, it would have been redundant it. if I had done it anyway. So now I'm glad I didn't because I had forgotten. Oh, well, like it'll be the first time we've. Whipped I could have done horse. power of love, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead, continue. This is going to take me a moment to pull this up, but I do, uh, I first, do surprisingly have them. You know, <laughs> our first bit of feedback comes from Theta Sigma. It's a combo text and audio f- feedback. He says, "Hi guys, recently rediscovered the show and loving it once again. Cheers." Oh, I, I thought I would drop you a little feedback on the girl who died. Years. So let's take a listen. Once again, the pre-credit sequence was superb. As with the last couple of weeks, this was a return to classic-style Doctor Who, with the TARDIS in peril and the Doctor trying to fix things, as well as at the same time trying to rescue Clara. Fantastic! Also loving the Doctor channeling every spider-hater in the universe in the manner in which he stomps the love sprite to death. Also, did anyone else think for more than a split second that Team TARDIS was back on Scaro in the petrified forest outside the Dalek City? Then we have the introduction to what we're led to believe will be the main antagonists, the Vikings. And one of the best moments in Doctor Who this season, when the sonic glasses are snapped in two. My only regret from that moment was that it didn't stop them from working. Of course, this was the episode billed to be guest-starring Maisie Williams of Game of Thrones fame. Now, I'm not and never have been a Game of Thrones fan, so for me I was completely underwhelmed by all the fuss, but intrigued enough to want to see what made half the world sit up and take notice when her name is mentioned. And something about her did stand out when the Doctor and Clara are being paraded through the village. Clearly she recognised the Doctor and he appears to recognise her. That he puts down to premonition being remembering in the wrong direction. But Maisie Williams has made her mark on this episode from that moment on. The first appearance of the Mire is quite dramatic initially, but sadly loses its impact fairly quickly when you realise that these are little more than Cybermen needing to lay off the fast food. The only real peril I felt from this scene was when Ashilda and Clara are beamed aboard the spaceship, and to be honest that's very much standard Doctor Who storytelling split the Doctor and his companion up as soon as possible. The episode goes on then with the Doctor preparing the village to face the mire, once he's been dragged out of another bout of seeming self-pity and rule-baiting by the now-returned Clara. Of course, in the middle of all that, we have the Doctor translating Baby once again. This time, however, played brilliantly straight by Peter Capaldi, as opposed to purely for laughs by his predecessor. Then there is, of course, that scene with the Doctor and Clara in the barn. The scene that had been talked about since before the start of Season 8. The scene that RTD said would still work. But back to the episode. On second watch I enjoyed it more, but that's mainly because I chose not to try and take every last little detail in and just enjoy it for what it was. More classic series-style Doctor Who. Plain, simple adventuring. It's what the show does best, and always has done. Thanks for your thoughts, Theta Sigma. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And uh, we it's should good to hear mention, from you again. Yes, we should mention uh, if you 
aren't a subscriber to uh, Theta Sigma's Doctor Who podcast, you should, because it's a very good uh, podcast, and uh, you should go over there and give it a listen. You can find uh, Facebook is uh, Theta Sigma's Doctor Who podcast. podcast. Um, the actual web address. Hold on, sorry. <laughs> Glenn uh, will have I in know, the show notes. Well, I know you can find him on uh, iTunes as well. It, it's probably uh, just best search, to find him through yeah, Facebook. If you search the uh, Theta Sigma's Doctor Who podcast on iTunes, I know you can find it there yeah. as well. Um, definitely check that out. He's got a great podcast. And thank you very much. Um, Sean was nodding when uh, he was talking about uh, the classic Doctor Who storytelling with splitting up the uh, companion. And it's, it, it's exactly oh, yeah. right. That's that's Doctor Who storytelling, in an essence, right now. Split the companion up from the from the Doctor, um, but it's unless done... it's Adric, and then they seem to leave him around for as long <laughs> as possible. Well, and then at the very end, they just split up forever. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, he addressed that, and it's something we don't talk about much. We've mentioned it before in the past, but that was another one of those prime instances. But it's funny that. You split them up and then you bring them right back together <laughs> just minutes later. So. Yeah. So, very good. All right. Let's move on. Thank you, Theta Sigma. Up next in feedback is Chrissy. Oh, yes. <laughs> took me a minute to figure out what that meant. Uh, Chrissy writes, The lady who put me to sleep. Dear Vortex Boys, Something that they risk with these two parters. One half of the story will be great, and the other half won't live up to expectations. Take the woman who died, for example. After equal parts fun and drama that made up the girl who died, I was expecting something similar in the follow-up. But this week's episode gave me a bunch of tedious navel-gazing coupled with an extremely whiny girl. I get that Eshilder, I refuse to call her me because that was just stupid, Probably wasn't prepared for immortality, and her life stunk because of it. But I never felt like I, good, like I got a good sense of her turmoil. I don't feel like the character earned her angst. I have no connection to her or her problems. As such, she comes off as whiny and petulant <coughs> and unlikable. At best, she's just boring. There's very little fun or humor to act as a counterbalance to Shielder's endless complaining. And the smugness. Sweet Scarrow, her smugness was so irritating. I'm not supposed I'm not opposed to a character having an having an overabundance of confidence. I like River Song for goodness sake. But again, Ashilder didn't earn that payoff. I don't know if this is down to the writing or the direction or the acting, although I'm less inclined to blame Maisie Williams because she was so great in the previous episode. But this episode left me cold. Like, what was the point of the Doctor saving someone and having that wonderful revelation over who frowned me this face if it's just going to turn into a complete debacle? If this is what we get when the Doctor gets a new ally in time, let's just stick with the old favorites. Bring back Captain Jack or River or Vastra. By the time Clara comes through the TARDIS doors, I'm almost yelling, Thank goodness you're back! Please never leave again! <laughs> Anyhow, that's how I felt after this episode, and you guys are probably going to be singing its praises. So tell me what I missed. That's all I've got for this week. Peace out, boys. Chrissy. Turns out that wasn't all she had this week. <laughs> Chrissy writes, quick P.S. Hi again, boys. Forgot something important. Star Wars trailer! Back to the future day! Everything is awesome! Oh, and I officially got engaged. Yay! His name's Jared. You guys would like him. He's a gamer and a total Star Trek geek, among other things. The first date he asked me out on was to watch Doctor Who Series 8, which is now his favorite. Go figure. Chrissy. 
Congratulations, Congratulations Chrissy. Chrissy. That's awesome. Absolutely. Congrats. Yeah, I actually saw her post yesterday on yeah, Facebook. So, did I. so uh, was apprised to it before we got to this email. But uh, yeah, thanks for sharing with our listeners as well. Um, I know she's gotten a lot of congratulations online <laughs> from, from listeners and, and friends alike. So, um, that's super exciting news, and we all expect to get invitations to the wedding. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> I'm very, very, very happy. I stand by my comment. We haven't met him yet, so I don't know how excited I can really get. <laughs> uh, he's, a, he's a science fiction fan. He's a geek. That's fine. He's a Star Trek He's fan, a Star Trek Sean, fan. Man. That ought to that automatically raise him up well, in here. As, as you guys ought to know, at... Um, you know, every science fiction genre show out there has got the doppelganger episode where one of them's evil. So <laughs> he could be an imposter. He could be a pod person. He does I don't have know yet. A goatee. He does so. have the goatee. So that's, <laughs> so does Sean. So I've never claimed well, Sean that. is the evil version of, of whatever we could have possibly gotten. <laughs> I've never claimed to be the good guy. Um, so you know, un, un, until we meet him, I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment. But I'm, I'm sure he's a nice guy. Yes, congratulations. And Jerry, yes. you better you better take care of her, man. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have three very angry Dr. Podcasters <laughs> on your case if you don't. Not to mention four other five-ish fangirls. Oh, five-ish fangirls. <laughs> I'd, I'd fear them more than I'd fear us. Yeah. Chrissy, going back to your first bit, um, the uh, <laughs> and now you guys are probably going to sing its praises and tell me what I missed. I can say for one, I will be countering your <laughs> Your uh, comments here. That's all I'm Ooh, going to say. This is going to be all a lively show this week. <laughs> oh. Well, let's move on to more feedback before we get to that review. And Up next is Holly. Holly from the land of uh, small town brewery that makes uh, Not Your Father's Root Beer in Wisconsin. For some reason I thought you were saying from the land down under. <laughs> I was all set to chime in with the next line and I was going to sing. And I don't know why. She's not from down under. <laughs> Holly writes, the woman who lived. Hey, guys. Wow. Where to even start with this episode? It's Clara Light, that's for sure. So it gives the doctor and a shielder plenty of time together. It also brings up the age-old question with immortality. Do you really want to live forever? Do the Queen music in the background here. Who wants to live forever? Sorry. The Sonic sunglasses are repaired, and we get the return of the psychic pepper. 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 Psychic paper. Ooh, psychic pepper. <laughs> that was before you are going to sneeze. All right. Uh, along, <laughs> along with a mention to Jack Harkness, was it just me or did Leandro look like... Look Leand- like he Leandro. Could, Leandro. Yeah, that's right. Could look like he could be a relation to either the cat nuns or the lion type face we saw in the Warrior's Gate. That was where I went with it. The like, ending. Oh, it's a Warrior's Gate thing. <laughs> Maybe not. The ending. I really hope Clara doesn't jinx herself. I know that she's leaving, but I don't want her to leave quite just yet. Well, I'll wrap it up here. Looking forward to everyone's thoughts on this episode. Holly from Wisconsin. Thank you, Holly. Holly Thank from you, down Holland. in... Oh, no, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if we lived in Canada, she would be from down under. <laughs> Touche. Down under from Mitch, I guess. Yeah. I expect Mitch to write next week and say, I don't know what you guys are on, but no, <laughs> it's not what we think of It's not how that works. Our last bit of... She's in Quebec, so it's probably like... I don't know a map. It comes down here. It's probably straight across. I don't know. <laughs> They're on the same parallel. I should look that up now. I'm curious. <laughs> Our final bit of feedback comes from Kirk. Kirk writes... 
Any theories? Hey, Vortex Pals! I mentioned in my comments and on The Magician's Apprentice that it was a clever use of half a Doctor... of a half Doctor Light episode. What's interesting is that... is that the trend of filming Capaldi and Coleman separately has continued through the season so far. It may seem surprising, but they were only together on screen for eight minutes in The Magician's Apprentice, two in The Witch's Familiar, five in Before the Flood, and one minute, 45 seconds in The Woman Who Lived. Wow. I didn't realize it was that... uh... I didn't realize that either. No, of course, there's The Girl Who Died and Under the Lake, where they're a lot together, but... Plus, you can add the upcoming episode with no characters other than the Doctor to that list. Only two of six episodes so far have normal Doctor companion scream time. What's up with that? Any theories? Kirk. They're weaning her out early. <laughs> I think that's, yeah. I don't know. Making it easier on Jenna and Peter. That yeah, day. I don't know. The bond isn't so strong because they're filming apart. It could simply come down to the fact that they're managing money. And by shooting, they they might be off screen so much in these episodes because they're shooting their parts of other episodes and they're trying to form a budget so that they can, because everybody knows now, I think for the most part, the Dr. Light, Dr. Light episodes were the invention of Russell T. Davis and what it was, it was, was them to be able to shoot two episodes at one time so that they could squeeze enough money out of the series that's initially budgeted for 12 episodes to get a 13th episode, which in turn becomes the Christmas special. And so Russell T. Davis set it up so that they could do what was called Dr. Light so that the whoever the Doctor and Companion are at the time can be shooting an episode while that in-between episode is being shot as well. And so they'll come in and do a couple of scenes, but primarily be overshooting their scene for another episode. And that was a way to get... Two episodes shot at once, use the same amount of money, and be able to get that 13th episode out. This could be a clever bit of money management, us knowing that the budget is very tight at the BBC. Now, the BBC is still throwing money at Doctor Who because it is their elite prop, one of their elite properties. And so they've got a larger budget, but I wonder if maybe they're able to do a little more in some sort of money management that they're doing in this in this way. I'm just speculating here. I have no grounds for any evidence of why this would be true but that could simply be why we're seeing a lot of them separated because they're shooting things like you know if if the doctor's shooting a scene here and he's not having to be together with clara cleric or jenna coleman could be off shooting another piece in another episode where she's not with the doctor there as well so it could be a clever bit of money management it could be as you guys kind of alluded to, maybe a way to wean us off Clara. <laughs> I don't know. Well, aside from this one, it's not like she's in the episodes less. They're just not on screen together. Correct, correct. So I, part of me wonders also if how many of these stories were had at least a structure written before they knew Clara, Jenna Coleman was coming back. Because they thought she was going to leave, and then they changed it at Christmas. So I wondered how much of the outlines at least were structured and then they had to go in and kind of adjust to fit the character of Clara in and that's why they're separate so much. I think that's least likely, but it's possible. I think it's a Zygon plot and all will be revealed (laughs) next week. I think Zygons have taken over the production offices of BBC and and Doctor Who, particularly in Cardiff, and they are uh, they're they're, they're purposely trying to drive a wedge between uh, the Doctor and Clara's screen time and we'll find out why next week. (laughs) 
And it could also just come down to the fact of Clara has grown enough as a character that she doesn't have to be on screen with the Doctor. She is almost the Doctor herself. So she can go off and do more than most companions could do on her own storyline. I think that there, there lends a lot of credit, credibility there because they're obviously in story kind of focusing on the idea that Making Clara her, is yeah, be like the doctor. being like the Doctor yeah. um, and, and throwing herself fully into the role of even more so than companion. And there's obviously going to be some issues with that coming up as well. So that, that yeah, I think well. I think that's probably the largest part I think of it. That's probably the story most wise it makes the most sense. All right. Well that's it for feedback. Thanks Kirk. Good to hear from you too. Shall we move on to our reviews? Yes. But first our review, our spoiler free review of Beast of Fang Rock. But first what? But first that. Well, I said reviews. Well, yeah, but I didn't want everybody to get excited and think, oh, we're <laughs> oh, going to talk okay. about the episode right. since we just got done talking about All the right. episode. Gotcha. We're not going to talk about it. We, gonna we, gonna we talk are going to talk about the episode. Yet. We're just not going to talk about it right now. Instead, here's another hour of Back to the Future. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Well, not really. I could, I could do a whole podcast on yeah, that. Well, yeah, well, that might be our other podcast. <laughs> How much time do we have tonight? Um, no, yes, let's review... The beast, no, just beast of beast Fang of Fang beast of Fang Rock. I don't have a synopsis. Oh, <laughs> sorry, I'm trying to. Yeah, find we didn't one. get the back cover of the <laughs> yeah. book. Did we? <laughs> That's probably on there. <clears throat> What'd you guys think? Dun dun dun! dun! <laughs> I didn't think it was possible to like <laughs> the book. Oh, well, now I found though. Oh, well, you found the synopsis? <laughs> of course you did. Oh, well, too late. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. There, there's a beast <laughs> on Fang Rock. <laughs> I suppose we should read it because this will be a spoiler-free review, review of this. And this is going to be probably the most difficult one for me to do spoiler-free because I'm so giddy and excited about <laughs> it. So let's do the, the – just so that the listeners who will have an opportunity to buy this book uh, coming next week. Or if you haven't heard of this book. Yeah, then this will give you a little bit of taste of what's happening. There's always death on the rock when the beasts amount. Fang Rock has always had a bad reputation. Since 1955, the lighthouse has been out of commission. Shut down because of a fire that gutted the entire tower. But now, finally updated and fully renovated, the island and lighthouse is once more again about to be brought back into service. Students have gathered on Fang Rock to celebrate the opening of the most haunted lighthouse in the British Isles. But they get more than they bargain for when the ghosts of long-dead men return, accompanied by a falling star. Colonel Lethbridge Stewart is brought in to investigate what he believes to be signs of alien involvement. But it is on, not only Lethbridge Stewart who has an interest in Fang Rock. Anne Travers is called to her family solicitors who have, who have in their possession a letter from Archibald Gough, the paranormal investigator who once visited Fang Rock back in the 1820s. Along with it, a piece of alien technology. What connects the shooting star, ghosts of men killed in 1902, and the beasts that roamed, the fang, that roamed fang, fang Rock in 1823? Lethbridge Stewart and Ann Travers are about to discover the answer firsthand. Dun, dun, dun! Is that the first time we've given two dun, dun, duns to <laughs> Sorry. That's because this story is that good! <laughs> so, not only does this story... Excel in a sequel to Horror Fang Rock. It excels as a prequel, also. It does. Well, 
that being said, it also excels as a sequel to the ongoing series yes. of Lethbridge Stewart too. <laughs> All three in that's, one book. That's the most wonderful thing about this is the fact that it 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 is it is a sequel and a prequel to Horror Fang Rock, the, the fourth story of the Doctor Who's the fourth Doctor the fourth story. Doctor story Horror Fang Rock, and. It also continues the line of Lethbridge Stewart and has a lot of setup and 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 callback and continuing characters and in fact another character that shows up. Well, I think we can say Bishop's been this. He comes in right away, right? Pretty so early on. Bishop, yeah. who was uh, basically right in there with Lethbridge <laughs> he was Stewart, essentially the Benton. And... <laughs> yeah, he's he's kind of the Benton of of this series. Um, and whenever, returns. whenever they tease him coming, I'm always like, is it going to be bitten? And then I'm slightly <laughs> disappointed that it's not. It's <laughs> ah, waiting I, for that I, introduction. I, I am I, – I, I, based on <laughs> – based on – based on how well – Bishop's Bishop is written. So well. I like it's, Bishop so much better than Bitten. Well, I love Bitten. That's Don't get blasphemy. Me wrong. That's but blasphemy. I think Bishop. I, 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 I love Bishop. Bishop, Bishop so is much. great. He's way better than Mike Yates. <laughs> <laughs> but we know the fate B- of Bishop is great. Early Mike Yates. Bishop yeah. is great. He's a phenomenal character, and, and I like him a lot but more in this sir, story. He's no Sergeant Benton. He, he Bishop has risen in the ranks of my estimation of him and my opinion of him because of this story. Yes. He's so great. The stuff with Anne is so great in this story. Who? Anne? Anne Travers? Yes. She returns as well, which I think we can say because she's on the cover. I synopsis, too. <laughs> oh, she was in the synopsis. But she's on the cover, too. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, and, uh, I don't know where to start with this because, again, I, just as spoiling. I said, I, I, I want to do the spoilery review because I want to do all the little – Moments, you know those. Yay! They did there. They went there. Andy did this. He. Really, I mean, it was just. Oh my god! The use of the ghosts in the story, yes, is so well done and so well explained later on. But the fact that the way it's structured, if you haven't seen Horror Fang Rock in a really long time, when there are the ghosts from 1902, you get enough from what he gives you that if you've seen it recently, you can picture what he's ta- what he's describing. But if you haven't, you don't lose anything because you of don't. It. And, and I, that being said, I think this is something that somebody that is new to Doctor Who it would might be it, a, it stands on its own yeah. as well because it does a really good job of structuring the story and letting you know everything you need to know about this location, about this lighthouse, about these characters, and everything that it ties to in Horror Fang Rock or anywhere else is served in this book. In just the information that you need to know. Everything that else beyond that are a lot of yeehaw moments for those of us that are fans and those of us that go, oh, I get that. I love how this relates. I love how this ties in. This works perfectly with this and that. And, oh, there's this little squee moment of, yes, you know, (laughs) it goes there. But it still stands by itself. You can read this book from beginning to end and not be lost at all. Oh, no, no, yeah. You you have to toe a very careful line when you do a sequel to a classic. And there have been books that came out, Scarlet, the sequel to Gone with the Wind, or As Time Goes By, the secret to Casablanca, that, yeah, we brought all the characters back and we kind of put them through their paces. But the, the, and I've read both of those, and they're just kind of like, bah, they're just, yeah. there's nothing there. They're very lifeless and feelless. So when, you know, oh, we're going to do the sequel to Horror Fang Rock, and, of course, my immediate thought was, oh, my God, yes, look, okay. Because you guys know me. I love Fang Rock. I love that story. But then there was that other part of me was like, 
I hope that we can. Now, based on the success of the first book and how well Andy wrote it, I thought, okay, if anybody's going to be able to pull this off, other than me, <laughs> Andy's going to give this a run for his money. And man, does he. Yeah. It I think yeah. just works. I think and one of the phenomenal. smartest things about it is while it's a prequel and a sequel, it. It doesn't dwell it, – it gives us nice nods and grounds the 1902 section of the story, horror, well enough, and it leaves it to be its own thing. It does. It doesn't it does. try to rewrite that story. It leaves it as it is. It gives us references. It gives us tie-ins. But it doesn't necessarily bring back those characters like – well, And, and, and that's do. the difference. Yeah. Unlike bringing it's, back everybody from that story and saying, okay, we're going to rehash this and do it again. or do the, it's, it's just it, – that's framework for the story that I'm going to tell now, which is a new story and it's got a whole different yeah. thing. Just in the but same setting with the same ideas. In, in the same setting, the same ideas yeah. and – I think we can safely say the same monster, yeah, because <laughs> well, it's also on the cover. Well, sort of. It uh, it also that's yeah, pretty apparent. No, because there's well, well there's two yeah, monsters. So, yeah, so I can't there, talk about that one. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, Not sure how I feel about that. I, one, well, but. I I like I like <laughs> that. Little, yeah. I like that because that's. I'm afraid we're going to get too spoiler here. That is <laughs> almost the con- conceived or perceived. Monster at the beginning of Horror Fang Rock. Oh that's, yeah, that's, that's true. That's what you perceive is sort of what they're referring to in Horror of Fang Rock. Now, as we know from Horror of Fang Rock, it turns around and we realize that the beast is a Ruton. But in, I love the different ways they it, that had is the, the way it's that's Ruton. the way yeah Ruton <laughs> it Ruton it's that's the way it's perceived. Uh, for horror. So it, this book, that's another thing I liked about it. Is it goes one step further to almost justify both. Yeah. yeah. And that, that was clever. That was so very clever. It's, it's amazing that the story can stand on its own. I mean, it really, it really can. It, 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 you, you, you could have never watched horror of Fang Rock, and you'll be completely fine reading this. You could not know anything about Doctor Who. Yes, and realistically, yeah. still go into this and come away. You lose some with, of the big squee moments. If you, you know, know it's but. still an enjoyable, uh, thrilling tale. If you're a Doctor Who fan and a horror fan, rock fan, then you just kind of get all those little added layers oh, of, yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah, oh this is so cool. It's oh, icing what we did here. and then whipped cream and then a cherry and then they decided, well, let's dribble a little more uh, chocolate on it and and oh wait, sprinkles. <laughs> We were gushing all over this book, but it, it, it really was an enjoyable read. And it, it had nice moments of humor in it also. It does. It does. Um, it's got great relationship building. Uh, yes. The relationship between – I can't want to say the brig – between Lethbridge Stewart and Anne's character, the development of Bishop and Lethbridge Stewart. Obviously, they're setting up – and the Owen's relationship and between them, Stewart's. and then bringing Owen back, who we can Which say is pretty early, early on, on too. because Owen is a returning character from a big part of uh, from, uh, the Forgotten Son, and so to bring all of those characters in and establish new relationships and another story around those characters that was a lot. That was quite enjoyable. I thought that was done really yeah, well. I would agree. Uh, and then you know, but th- this is really and, and this also, is really Anne Travers's story is yeah, what it what it, it is. Really and, is, and rightfully she's on the cover, and that, you don't see Lethbridge Stewart on the cover at all. 
Now, that's not to undersell Lethbridge, undersell Lethbridge Stewart's involvement in the story because he is a big part of this story. Oh, yeah. But this is really kind of Anne's story. If I, if I was going to complain about anything, and early on I kind of thought maybe that would be a complaint, is that, well, for the third Lethbridge Stewart book, it really doesn't feel much like a Lethbridge Stewart story. It's Anne's story. And I have no problem with that because I've come to really, really like Anne as a character and everything that she stands for and her interactions with Lethbridge Stewart. It, it's well, just and a, it makes sense that fit. she gets a bigger role in, this sto- in the overall story since after Forgotten well, Son. Forgotten Son. Yeah. Anne's and Anne's gets away. Yeah, yeah. get... it's, it's a growing of her yeah. character. Yeah. And this and is the next step in it, that. It almost feels like um, that she's kind of being used as a, a template for a prototype Liz. Yeah, I yeah, think so. Absolutely. Know, she is scientific advisor. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, just, it yeah. just really kind of feels like that's the relationship we're going for. And so initially I was kind of like, well, you know, that's not much of a Lethbridge Stewart story because he's just he's just kind of there. He's 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 a passive uh, participant in the events as they transpire uh, around until later but, he's not. But later yeah. he's yeah. not. And that that's when it, it it really kind of kicks in and becomes no this is still a Lethbridge Stewart story and this is where we're going to put him in peril and make him do th- and kind of jump through the hoops. But then I started thinking about it and I thought to myself, you know, realistically all of the brigadier stories are like that. Yes. Oh, the yeah, brig kind of shows up and really doesn't have much involvement until the doctor calls well, in reinforcements and we have to go blow something it's because up. Because he's Wait, so effective that you <laughs> can't have him but, at the beginning or yeah. else it's a story ends too quickly. <laughs> but when you compare it to that, he's a lot more he's a bigger part of oh, these yeah. stories. Than Oh, sure, and 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 keep in mind, I'm not complaining. I'm really, I'm not complaining. That was, interestingly enough, one of the problems you had with Schizoid Earth when you reviewed that is that it doesn't feel like Lethbridge Stewart's there enough to be a Lethbridge Stewart. You even said that. I think you said on the show, you definitely said it in conversing with me. And so I see where you're coming from, but I really felt like Lethbridge Stewart was at least a third of this story. Oh, yeah. And and really kind of overshadows, but... I think he's, I mean, and I guess the other thing that I look at is because this is the Lethbridge Stewart story arc, he's always the reoccurring character. And he's the linchpin of He's the linchpin. And so I actually quite enjoy the idea of doing these books and forming the story primarily under one character, and it doesn't have to be Lethbridge Stewart. It can be a different character because he is the bridging element between all them. In fact, when the next one comes out, I really, you know, what is it? Mutual, mutually assured domination. Assured domination. <laughs> when that one comes out, I kind of hope to see another character be the central character, and Lethbridge Spirits be kind of this peripheral He's character the glue as that well. Holds because all this, I think it really does together. well. Because you don't get tired of learning. You don't get tired of Lethbridge Stewart. Oh, who could tire of Lethbridge Stewart? <laughs> right. But you don't get tired of Lethbridge Stewart because he's not always the main focus of these stories. Right, and and that's the the, the genius really of the way these are put together is that. Because we, we kind of got his story in, in the first novel. We really did. Yeah. It, we really backstory. did. Yeah. We, we, we got his backstory. And we got an, a ton and of information on him. And now it's about building him to the, the character the, the character that we know is coming <laughs> yeah. and setting up Unit. Because I very much feel like, even though I'm sure contractually there are pieces of that that they will not be allowed to specifically say, but you can kind of tell that they're grooming things for... This is kind of where this is well, going to fit in. This is where this is going to fit. Finally, in. got mentioned in this book that is without saying too much for, is a huge right. setup for what's yeah. to come. Yeah, whether it be in this line itself or what's to come in the future. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So 
you, you, it, it's, it's fun to see those pieces come together and, and, and start to gel. And the fact that we get these pieces on Fang Rock is just like, <laughs> boy, there's <laughs> some more whipped cream up on top yeah. of it. Um, the, the book is really, it, it's, I, I was really reflecting on this. It, it's, don't, you know, it's a Doctor Who book. Don't, don't get me wrong. It is. It's very much a Doctor Who book. Oh, but it's so well written around. <laughs> <laughs> Without being a Doctor yeah, Who book. Yeah. But it's also a Scooby-Doo book. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way at all. I mean that if you enjoy Scooby-Doo and that level of fun kind of mystery adventure that you got from any Scooby-Doo episode, that tone is kind of what permeates, I think, a lot of this stuff. I mean, the stakes are a little bit higher because there's a beast and we're in an isolated story and it's kind of a base under siege thing going on. But we've got this group of people that we've brought together and then we're going to go off and, and you know, we're going to split up. We're going to search for the monster. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of templated almost off of a Scooby-Doo story. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it. I thought that was great because it just, while the stakes were still high, it didn't have that overwhelming sense that, that, that the last book had where the stakes were so impossibly up here, you know, end of the world kind of stuff. We're, we're dealing with one island. We're dealing with one lighthouse. We're dealing with ostensibly one beast that, you know, we, we've got to deal with this problem. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's go. I'm just, I was so on board with that. I thought it was wonderful how that was just the, the tone he hit with it. I also think it kind of has a bit of the, the tone from the Back to the Future films. And and yeah, probably more <laughs> so because of its structure. Yeah. And we can't go into too much of why, but because there is a lot of that playing, and, and I'll tell you, <laughs> uh, the uh, the callback to or this coming out so close to <laughs> beneath the the beneath or before the flood with oh, the something cause, that yeah. happens in that the yeah. let's just say the causal loop we'll say that <laughs> being a central core to that and this coming out near the same time I thought was very serendipitous <laughs> yeah um, but yeah yeah just, just just the whole kind of the certain events having to play out the way they do. And the reason they have to play out the way they do was very Back to the Future. was was almost a little more Bill and Ted in the sense that <laughs> the car keys have to be here. But it, it, you know, all, it, all in that, all in that fun time travel, yeah, clever. You know, and, and it was it wasn't all in the wait that doesn't work either. It, no, it, it never it was a works. this doesn't work. It it does. It yeah. really does. There's not a moment of it where you're like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. it, it all just gels. To the extent there were a couple of times when I would go back and check and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Does this really match up as well as I think it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> it really does. It's well, and this one deals with ghosts ten times better than <laughs> the, uh, uh, beneath, under the lake, under the lake. <laughs> dealt with ghosts and, and, and before the flood. Before the flood. Um which again, I guess that's a little serendipitous. Yeah, well. I don't think about <laughs> that, but you're right. There's, yeah. there's ghosts in that one as well. So this it's one, very, it's a very topical story this right now. One, <laughs> this one, uh, the the ghosts are explained very well in yes. this one. Now it takes me a little bit to get to it, where I think it really explains the. It, it, comes it takes its time to explain it. It, it oh, takes its time to drill down to the core of yeah. why this is possible. So, and I like that. Yeah. But again, it, what what's fun is that you know. There are ghosts. Okay. And then you bring in the science kid. And, and she's like, 
No, I don't think they're ghosts. <laughs> and you bring in the military guy, and he's like, I don't think they're ghosts. And then you bring in the lighthouse keeper, and like, dude, these are ghosts. <laughs> these are totally ghosts. Which, again, kind of lends to that Scooby-Doo right, element right. of it, that there was this, this you know, because there's always got to be that one doubting Thomas. I was like, well, I don't think so. Yeah, no, it's totally ghosts. Yeah. But then as as we get further into it, and then the science person does the flip and goes, well, I don't know, maybe these are ghosts. <laughs> and you're like, what? You're supposed to protect me from these people. What <laughs> are you doing? It's a little bit like uh, Under the Lake. Yeah. So... Just wonderful. But, yeah, they kind of string you along with it a little bit and then hit you with the, ah, here's what's really mm-hmm. going on. And yeah. I just I, I really liked that aspect of it. Um, I talked with Andy just a little bit on, on Facebook, and I, I had to ask him because I'm a lighthouse nut. I love lighthouses. I love the myth and the lore and the atmosphere and the Pete's Dragon and everything that has to do with the lighthouse. is just like, yeah, this is it. And he nails that as well. There's just there's something about you, 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 you've all read that book that's set somewhere that you have some familiarity with and the art of the author didn't get it. They just, they just kind of blew it off or didn't talk about it. And you're like, wait, no, that's not how that works. Mm-hmm. Not with this. No, uh, it's just, you can tell that there, there's, there's a definite sense of reverence about the fact that we're in a lighthouse and it's not just a location that it, it, it adds to that. It becomes a character. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. And it, it helps with the atmosphere and the, the building up of what's going on. And I, I was really shocked that we spend as much time on Fang rock as we do. We've got scenes in broad daylight, mm-hmm. you know, on yeah. Fang rock, which kind of lend to the beauty of it and take away from the mystery and the fog and the, you know, unlike horror, which is very much <laughs> yeah. boom right here. But it didn't matter no, because of how the story was constructed and what was going on during those scenes. It just flowed. Well, perfectly. and I, I think also it's the, it's the isolation of it all. I think yeah. that yeah. that's it, what adds it, you don't have to, to yeah, it. you don't have You're to alone have on this island. The, the, the darkness and the fog there always, because you still have the isolation, even though there's now a helipad, on top of the lighthouse at this point. <laughs> and a way off of here, if we need to, we have we are still isolated in this location and while we deal with what's going on on this on this rock with this beast. You feel a little bit like Jaws when uh, when Quint comes in and smashes up the radio and you're at yeah. sea and it's like, well, we could turn around and go back. But at the same time, you know that's not really an option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it, it had that vibe to it as well. Yeah. I so wish we could go spoilery. Yeah. I, oh, we well, in, in a month or so's time, we will <laughs> definitely go spoilery on this because uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it some more. Um, have we said Andy's full name? Andy Franken Andy Franken-Allen Allen. is the author of this uh, novel, and we will be full disclosure. We've had some conversations with him online now. Um, he's been very, very gracious, and we've been very gracious to be able to um, get copies of these books ahead of time so that we can review them and talk a little bit about them on the show and hopefully get people excited about them. That's not to say when we get a copy of a Lethbridge Stewart book that we don't like, we're going to be honest with you Last about Last time, it. Sean and I were not as uh, yeah. favorable about Schizoid, Schizoid Earth. Earth. So, yeah. um, but we certainly are going to I – mean, we're, we're not letting our connection to Candy Jar books and Andy uh, taint our uh, view, and I don't think they would want us to. Um, but because of that relationship we've developed with, uh, candy jar books and with Andy, uh, we actually, uh, are going to have, uh, we only have a couple of copies to give out to our listeners. Um, but we do have one, um, 
caveat or or one thing that you have to do for us. You have we to are, earn these books. We, that's right. You have to earn them. We are going to ask you five questions. So get your pens and pencils ready, or just pause the podcast and go get your pens and pencils and uh, <laughs> <laughs> pen and paper. And uh, get but your we're thinking ask, caps we're gonna, on. Here's how this works. We're going to ask five questions. They're not directly related to Beast of Fang Rock because we understand that nobody has had a chance to read this but us. <laughs> and you in don't fact, want a free copy if fact, you go buy one. It's... Andy has said many times we are the first three to read this outside of his office. <laughs> yes. So, um, so we don't, we're not going to require you to answer these, co- these questions from that. But we're going to have some indirectly related questions that we're going to ask here. Five of them. You answer all five of those questions. Send it to us at... Feedback at travelingthevortex.com, and you can also go to our website and fill out the form to send it to us. And you answer all these, and those, all of those people that submit all five correct answers will then go into a drawing, and we will draw from them two names who will receive the books that we're, uh, we've got to give out. So. And you should probably put uh, Fang Rock promotion yeah. in, the, in, the, in the subject line just so that we can differentiate yeah. it from regular feedback. Not that you're not welcome to include it with your regular feedback, correct, of course, but correct. just so that we can, we keep, can track. Kind of we'll keep track of, keep track of it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because you know how we lose things. <laughs> so should we start with the questions? Yes. All right. We shall start with the questions. First question. Who is the first person to die in the fourth Doctor story, Horror of Fang Rock? Now we're talking about the TV story, Horror of Fang Rock. Who is the person. first person to die? Next question is, what alien species is seen for the first time in the fourth Doctor story, Horror of Fang Rock? What alien species is seen, seen for, for, for the, the first, first time. time? On television. On television. <laughs> in Horror of Fang Rock. Third question, name the actress who plays Anne Travers in the second Doctor story, The Web of Fear. Fourth question, what was the name of Alistair Lethbridge-Stewart's brother? In the Forgotten Son. In the Forgotten Son. (laughs) We'll give you a reference point so you can go look. There's another reference point you can make, but we'll wait for another review for that (laughs) one. (laughs) Name one other book written by author Andy Franco-Mallon. And it can be any any book that Andy's written does not have to be Doctor Who related. It can be Doctor Who related. Um, he has done a few. I'm not going to say the names because I don't want to give anybody an unfair advantage. Well, there was that one. There is I, that I, one. I will, I will that say probably that we will not accept everybody. <laughs> Beast of Fang Rock as an answer. We won't accept Beast. It has to be any other, other book that Andy has written. Yes. And again, it can be inside or outside the Doctor Who co- connection or range or Hooniverse. Yeah, absolutely. So there you go. Good luck, and uh, so we have those a deadline in. that we need to have those by. Uh, let's let's do let's do two weeks. Two weeks. We'll is shoot for two weeks. It won't be next show. It'll probably be the show after that. If that changes, we will let you know on our next show if we extend that deadline. But the deadline for now is two weeks, which would be two Sundays from now is going to be the seventh, November eighth, eighth. Episode 254. <laughs> Have your answers submitted by November 8th. I'm glad I'm not in school anymore because that's probably how I would date my papers. Episode 254. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I still date my papers. <laughs> so good luck. Yes. And thanks again to Andy and uh, Candy Jar Books for uh, 
giving us this opportunity to give these uh, materials out. Yeah. And I, I will throw and our a, chance to review these and read these. Yeah. And uh, I, I will throw a plug out there and say if you don't want to fuss with the contest and would rather just go purchase your copy, yeah. Go yeah. do it. Well, yeah. Go, yeah, do, yeah, it. go <laughs> do it. Definitely go do it. I think I'm going to go purchase a physical copy of this one because totally, I enjoyed it I'm so t- much. I'm totally going to buy a, 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 a physical copy. I forgot to ask is Andy signing? These copies. I hope so. Hopefully, yeah. You know, well, see, there's there's another incentive. Oh yeah, if that's Andy true. is signing these copies, which I believe he is. Then it'll be signed copies. So even if you go out and buy one, you'll still have a signed copy. Yeah. In which case, you 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 may get mine, and I'll hold on to the signed one. <laughs> no, you won't, Sean. <laughs> this is how I get myself locked out of the prize vault. <laughs> I make innocent comments, and you guys are like, "Yeah, we maybe take, we'll hold on." We to had those. to take the key away from Sean and give it to uh, Keith. Because he's so trustworthy. Hey. I didn't trust myself with it. So. <laughs> <laughs> really, it's with Cody. So it's uh, <laughs> he buried it in the backyard somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully, he remembers where it's at. <laughs> Do we need to play the, uh, the the special song to get him to go to sleep? So looking up in the trap door. Right behind him. <laughs> yeah, I went there. Nice. <laughs> Very cute bow tie, by the way. Oh, on, thank uh, you. We, we got him another one that has stars on it. Shall we move on to our review of The Woman Who Lived? Yes. Let's not put it off any longer. England, 1651. The deadly highwayman, the nightmare, and his sidekick stalk, stalk the dark streets of London. But when they find loot that's not of this world, they come, and f- come face to face with the doctor. Who is the nightmare in league with? And can the doctor avoid hangman's noose and protect Earth from a devilish betrayal? Dun, dun, dun. Oh. Really? This is funny because last <laughs> week he was just loving so, the first part of this two-part story. I and I was like, yeah. I went back and rewatched one. last week's. And I thought it, I, I, and on my second review was it was very enjoyable. I don't know if I put it as high as you put it, Sean. But it hit all the right notes. It's just, it's there. It's a good story. It's enjoyable. That's just, that's it. So there's Keith's second review of The Girl Who Died. <laughs> did you, just out of curiosity, did you happen to read the io9 article that I posted? Uh-uh. Uh, uh, go to our Facebook page. io9 had a wonderful breakdown of why The Girl Who Died is the pantheon of Doctor Who <laughs> that I thought it was. I read it and I still disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I think they said it much more eloquently than they, what they, I was struggling they, to they, come out with. But they, I, as I read it, I went, yeah, yeah, that's what I was trying to say. That. <clears throat> they hit on the points. The thing is, I understood, even if you don't think you said it eloquently, I understood exactly what you were saying about it. And they did maybe say it better, but it didn't change my opinion of uh, it. It didn't change my decision about it. it I'm interested to know. I want you to start first as to why this one didn't even get a dun dun dun. Um, it was okay. It, it, it was uh, kind of what Keith had just said that you know it was there. That's really all I felt for this. I felt they squandered the 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 opportunity. Now Maisie may be back, in which case at that point I may change my perception on this one because all of a sudden it will be the middle part of a trilogy as opposed to <laughs> the capstone. Um, but. It, it, I felt like I squandered the opportunity to deal with this uh, immortality. <laughs> what? Now, now, hang what? on. Now, hang on. 
That's the best part of the whole story. That is, that's what this story is. Yes, the lion the best and the part and, about it. this is all the story was about. I, see, I think I think one thing that well, maybe why it's not setting well for people like Chrissy, maybe for you, Sean, is that it's directly on the heels of the girl who died. Had we had the Zygon two-parter in between it, given some time between the two stories, that maybe there would be more weight to the, the immorta- immortality discussions. But on maybe. the heels, it feels like it's such a quick turnaround for the character. And, see, and, and from for a viewer, for some viewers, see, I can see. I, I disagree it with doesn't, that. It doesn't fit that for yeah. me, but I could see how that could hurt. It doesn't for because some it's so eloquently discussed in the story, and it's so well played out as to what we what has happened to a shielder between the moment that the doctor left and the moment that the doctors arrived. That through all of the dialogue that happens, and even some of the brief flashback scenes that we get. We get all of that. We get all of the ramifications and all the repercussions. No, that I agree with. everything that has happened and, the fact and led that it's her been to this point years. now. And all of that is, is, is conveyed. So I didn't feel, feel like we needed any time between because we were given all of that time between so eloquently in the story. Yes and no. Um, I totally get where they were going with with her character. And that she was bitter about the immortality, that she was not happy with the immortality because of this. And she's got these diaries and that this is what's happened. And something that, I love the exploration that her she may be living forever, but her brain doesn't keep the memory forever. Yeah. That is such a cool thing that I've never seen explored anywhere else. That, that's a really unique I really like it. that aspect of it. Um, I mean, any time science fiction has dealt with an immortal, at any time... There's the inevitable woe is me because immortality is a curse and it kind of sucks and everybody I know dies. So that that's 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 given. Even the doctors had that. And so you knew that was coming. And so when she lays it out there that it's that everybody disappears, they're like smoke. It's like, okay, cool. This is where we're getting that moment. But they did it in such a way that I, 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 I kind of agree with Chrissy that I didn't feel as connected to her angst. Over 800 years. Because I'm, I'm sorry, I firmly come down on the belief that if I was immortal, I'd be the happiest person ever. There's nothing you can convince me of losing you guys and my family and Mel. Okay, I'll move on. I'm sorry, I will get over you. And I will find other people to hang out with afterwards. Being immortal would be the greatest thing ever. I have always thought that. And so... Seeing another portrayal of, eh, I was oh, like, okay. But. So you missed the point of this story. No, no. that's the problem. <laughs> it depends on your approach. It's, to the it's, it's not me or a Shielder's story. I, that's all the distraction is what this story is. This is all about the question as to what the doctor did at the very end of the last story. Was that the right thing to do? It's it's the doctor and dealing with all the consequences of, that, of his actions, yes, and all of that whining that did, did, did Chrissy eloquently See, said. I, I didn't think that is that not came that has way, nothing honestly. to do. That's all a distraction. That's you. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to say, "Yeah, we've seen it before. Yes, immortals. This is what they have to deal with. This is the consequence of that." 
it's the consequent of the doctor's actions. It's not. Right. It's not a shoulder story. It's, and, 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 it's us wondering: Did the doctor do the right thing? Yes, and, we knew what the consequences were going to be based on tropes in other science fiction, and that was delivered upon which it should have been. Yeah, because absolutely. It, but it is ultimately the doctor then second guessing himself as to whether he should have done what he did, and that's where the story drills down and, to and the almost her soul on a knife edge yes, tipping yes, yes. one way or another based exactly. off of now this interaction exactly. of him figuring out. And but, so and the whole purpose of this story side. is but, for but the doctor to the explore. The whole purpose of the story no, is for it would the be doctor to... for her to fall on the evil side and become a villain. Yeah. No, because here, here's the deal. Because she, she could easily be the proto-master. Right. But she, she doesn't. She falls on this other side, but which she, is great. She Ultimately, turned she on yes. a dime. That was the problem. We get a whole episode of her grief. We get a whole episode no, of her problem. No. We get a whole she episode didn't of turn on a dime. She did. She did not she, turn she, on a dime. She most certainly did. When when we get this whole... She has reason to be angry. I'm not disputing her angst. Unlike Chrissy, who doesn't think it's fine. I mean, she's lost children. That's pretty massive. You know, I get that. So she's got reason to be angry. And she's got reason specifically to be angry at the doctor. Because of the line in the first film about how much she loves her village and the people in it that she wouldn't know what to do if she lost them. And then she does. Yes. Because she outlives all of them. And yeah. that's the beauty that's of the this. Of that. No, that's the beauty well, of this. Well, the beauty of the story, because but it's the horror the story, that, all, you know, that the, is the, the, That's what is said. In fact, if anything made me appreciate last week's episode more, it was this story. Because of the rosiness and the direness at the end and the setup for this and for her to go through that and see all of that tragedy and for her to live all that and the oh, woe is me and living on, as Keith said, the knife's edge because she really is living on the knife's edge. And when you say she turned on a dime, you are not – you're furthest from the correct of that because she didn't change. That's ultimately what this story said is when she's it came down to time. it, she's been good the whole time. She's just had the shades of her past and experiences that has completely masked that and to a point almost the, smothered it out, but was ultimately like always there. People. And right. when it came to the moment to have, where she was forced to make that decision on that edge of that knife, she made the decision that she was always destined to make, but she had to come to that and we had to, again... This story is about the doctor. This story is about the doctor having almost convinced himself that he may have done the wrong thing. And it's not until the discussion between him and her in the pub when uh, the guy we haven't even talked about, uh, uh, Sam, Sam, Sam. The, the, the Quick, Sam Swift the Quick, I think was his <laughs> name. Or, anyway, uh, when she grants that immortality to him to – and it wasn't necessarily even to save his life. It was to save – what was going on at that time to write the mistakes she had made. It was at that moment and that discussion of the reason why ultimately her fate was to ultimately she's there to watch over the companions that she leaves behind. And I think that's the most beautiful message that they could have, they could have presented in doctor whoever, because it's something that we, the doctor, that the the best moment of this is the fact that the doctor HR version of Torchwood. The doctor having to, <laughs> the doctor having to <coughs> face the fact that he has always been in a shielder situation where he has to leave the companions behind, and 
There's never anybody to look after them after he leaves. This gave the perfect character for somebody to do that. And I want to believe, until they tell me different in the third part of this story, <laughs> I want to believe that that's been her role in life since. And she'd even said she had come across people before that knew him. That's yeah. why she knew so much about him. She is their overseer and protector. Now, I'm not saying that, that she's protecting them and... and saving them physically and making sure that they, she steers them down the right path. But she is certainly keeping an eye on them to make sure that their lives are progressing and they're not falling into the same thing she did in a way that they're pining after the fact that they didn't, they weren't able to go on with him. And I think that is a lovely sentiment and I 100% agree with that's how it plays out. The problem I have is in between the, my life sucks Oh, here's this lion guy. I'm going to hook up with him and do some evil stuff, including killing a guy so that I can open a portal to escape Earth because I'm destined for so much more. I don't have a problem even with that because if you're immortal, it was like, yeah, you, you, you kind of would have that manifest destiny about you that there's got to be more than just this, especially in the dark ages. Oh, my <laughs> Of the times God. to be immortal. That would Ooh. suck so much. But she's weathered all of that. Well, she lived through Nora's times all the way through the well, yeah. That's Let's not undersell it, no, well, I, But, I mean, you know, I mean, the Renaissance was pretty cool. And, you know, it's, it's just it's still not as great as everyone thinks it was. <laughs> so to, to go through all of that and have the suckage, and then the lion guy shows up out of the middle of nowhere and goes, well, I can get you out of here. Like, okay, you grasp at straws. I get that. And always hoping that the doctor would come back for her. And always hoping the doctor comes back. And then the doctor does come back. But he doesn't come back for her. He's just kind of there accidentally. And so that stung. And she's a little pissy about that. And so maybe that's why she's, okay, fine. I'm going to go off with Lion Guy. And I'm going to go do this stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's going to involve killing somebody. And I'm okay with that. Until she's not. It, it just oh, I th- all I of a sudden was, was like... I think she was denying her, to herself that she was okay with it. Yes, See, exactly. Now, if that's the case, exactly. and I could buy well, that. I, I, I think also because of her... Iso- she At this point, she had been isolated for so long. She didn't even think of the death or the slime well, person as an ally. It's their tools. And right. same thing with let, the doctor. Let, when let, the me doctor- you, let me give you one more caveat to that. Is both of the planned deaths were condemned men. She never would have killed a person who had life ahead of her. But if that's the case, then the whole scene where Sam tries to rob her and capture her and the doctor, and they have the flipping back and forth of who's going to have the upper hand, and then she winds up winning that contest, and she's got the musket at his face, and the doctor has to step in and say, if you kill him, you make an any of me for her to change her mind. That was a tense moment. That really showcased to me how far she had progressed and how far she was willing to go and how dark she thought you her know life what it, was. You know what it, and if no. she was wavering through this whole time, that scene has no, now lost all You know why teeth. she did it? She was testing the doctor. That's ultimately what it came down because from the point that he showed up there when they were both trying to get the amulet, which was funny. <laughs> from that point to that point, she was always testing the doctor. She, he was her companion through the majority of this. He, she was always one step ahead of him. And she was always at the point where she was testing the doctor. And that was one more test. And in it, from our perspective, it looks like it was an ultimatum from the doctor. I guarantee from that point, she had never intended to kill him, but she was pointing the gun because she wanted to show the doctor that she had control. She had the power. 
great. The doctors come across another control freak. But um, (laughs) (laughs) that was her testing the doctor. And she had to push the doctor to a point to say, if you do it, you've made an enemy out of me. That's where that is. That's the point. I think people went into this episode and they kept focusing on all of the wrong things, which I think you're intended to. Don't get me wrong. I think that's how it's designed. But once it comes to the point of the climax, everything kind of falls into place for me. I think that that's that that's the perspective of the show is the fact that you go into this and you have one frame of mind and one idea of how this is all playing out. And when the big reveal happens with the climax, you kind of retroactively look back at it and go, oh, this was all really kind of a build up to this moment. And I was expecting one thing and a whole nother thing played out. And then it just retroactively said, OK, this makes so much sense now. I the, that one moment of turning, of her turning, just made everything just – it was like this <laughs> moment for me. Because I, I did a lot of the same thing. Okay, we've seen the angsty immortal. We've had the uh, – she's – fortunately, because we're going through all that, we have all of these wonderful <laughs> road movie moments of the pair nearly getting in trouble, feuding the whole time. Just, you know, the the funny, the witty, the jokes that were happening throughout the whole thing, that was the thing that carries you through all of the angsty whining. Sure. And yeah. So that makes that all the better in there that it's all of the kind of tropey things that are happening. And then to have that turn and realization that this is really her, number one, testing the doctor. And number two, the, the doctor is, is second-guessing what he did. And this really the ultimate, yeah, this was the right thing to do. And he did it. And that was, and it was the payoff for why he did that at the end of the last one. And again, that makes the last part of that last story so much better for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I said, I, I, I don't disagree with any, with any of your, with any of your points. As I didn't agree with any of your points. (laughs) I don't, I don't disagree with any of them. I just, it, you know, the performances were fantastic. Maisie Williams is amazing. She should be in everything. She's that good. The dialogue the was dialogue terrific. was great. Oh, and this yes. gal that wrote this, has she written before? Because she needs she, to come back and write much more Doctor Who for I my, don't believe she has. She wrote for Torchwood. Yeah, that's right. I did. That's why I recognize the name. She needs to write more Doctor Who. She is a phenomenal wordsmith. She scripted Out of Time, Captain Jack Hartness, Meet an Atom. Oh, those were all good ones. Yeah, um, I liked the Captain Jack uh, line drop, and I, I, th- I thought we had a lot of <laughs> explains why she did it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we had a lot of good elements to this that just didn't gel for me in the way that you know. Even the way I hope, now maybe I just need to watch it again. I, I did this. I only got to see it the once, uh, and I I've watched it the once too. Though I watched it today. I want to watch so. it again. <laughs> I've seen it twice. So. Maybe if I put them back to back. And Mel kind of felt the same way. Mel looked at me afterwards and kind of went, eh, it was all right. She says, I think I need to watch it again. I was like, okay, well, that's not like, yeah, I'll twist my arm. I'll watch Doctor Who. <laughs> but, you know, I just, I came off of this going, I think this was the weakest one of the season so far. And I don't mm-hmm. mean that, that now that's yeah. saying something because. I think you this put, was the strongest one. If, if you put this episode up against some of the ones from last season, it's still head and shoulders above some of those. Last season was so uneven with you know some of the bouncing around, and while it's still a strong episode, it's still a good episode. 
I still think it's the weakest one of the season so far. But that comes really solely based on the the turn of that. That I didn't I didn't buy the turn. I didn't buy that she suddenly became good, or that she was wrestling she didn't with it. Suddenly became well, good. I don't I don't buy that along. she was wrestling yeah. with it. I don't buy that she was good all along and just trying to put up this show. I don't buy that. No, she was I don't testing think it was a thought. show. I, just, I don't I think don't she think, knew. You know, I just didn't buy it. I don't think she knew. I think that it was I th- I like think a I lot said, of it was she was bored and wanted something to do. After living for so long. And see, that I could and, buy, and, too. But and that's why she had teamed up with the lion. And that's why she was going through all this. Oh, yeah. It was, it was, it was desperation. A, it was excitement. Because that's all the only reason she did the robbing was yeah. excitement. It, well, here's the, here's the analogy. Here's the allegory. It was the kid that grows up in a small town, and he has done everything that he can, and he feels like he has no way out. And he gets to a certain age, and a guy comes along and says, I will take you out of this town. You've got to help me rob this liquor store, though. And so ultimately when that becomes the prize, that's, hey, that's going to get me out of here, I can do that. I can do this here. And that's the allegory of this is, is yeah, granted, the kid hasn't lived mortally, but he has done everything he can do in the 18 years that he's lived. And he feels he has no future or nothing more unless he gets out of this town. And when the guy comes along and offers him the opportunity to get out of this town, he's willing to do nearly anything to get out of town. That's what this was. And it was beautifully, beautifully written. If your protagonist remembered that they had done everything there was to do well, and was not immortal, that works. The, yeah. <laughs> the immortal one those, I can't fix. Th- those two but, pieces. That I, just, but a kid the, that the, grows the, up the, in a small town and knows the same thing does forget the good things about the sure. town. It forgets I mean, the good yeah. things about growing up. They forget the good things about... You know, childhood and all of the the, the people that help them along the way. All they see is this crummy town that I'm never going to escape. All they see is this crummy town that I'm never going to escape. Bedford Falls. Yeah, exactly. But when you've lived for, how old was she? 800. 800 some odd years. Um, The the impression that I got through the whole thing is that she really thought she was smarter than the lion guy. Even though the doctor told her he's he's going to betray you at the first opportunity. He's going to betray you. And she's like, how do you know it's not me? It's like, okay, so she's setting him up. Like you said, she's a, he's a tool. She's using this to get out of town. I get that. But then all of a sudden when he goes, no, you're not coming with me. And she's like, what? I'm not coming with you. And it's like, where's your plan? Where's the, where's the master stroke of where you're going to flip the table on him again? Again. Oh, you're just going to turn good. The beauty of the character is that she was so blinded by her style, her technique, her her ability to she learn. She was Michael Bay. She, she was all style. Exactly. No she she had built herself up so much. She felt that she not only was immortal, she was invulnerable. Yeah. And she, because she was so great at everything that she did, she was fooling herself. And so ultimately, when she thinks she's in control, and she realizes, wait a minute, I love the fact that hey, there's that smack in the face of reality that. You didn't have this one planned out. That was another element that made this so good. It humbled her. Yes. Sorry, Keith. We're talking a whole lot. You, you, oh, no, no. I'm agreeing with pretty much everything you're saying. Glenn. And then you only, say it and convince me. She's not doing a very good job of it. So. I don't know how I could say it differently. Uh, the only part of the story for me that didn't quite work so didn't say well. better. <laughs> differently. Or better. Uh, was really Sam Swift the Quicked or whatever his name was. He felt – I felt like this aside from the – it was mostly the gallows stuff when he was there. It felt like a lot of forced humor that just felt out of place to me. I did read. Uh, I got curious about that. I did read that there is some precedent for high women because they were so. They were like the Robin Hoods of their time. They were. They weren't necessarily robbing 
for good. Yeah, they but, were just robbing. They were romanticized. They, they they were our American Western outlaws, is what they were. Hmm. Is that people loved to read about them? They were in in a way they were kind of an anti-hero, and people worshipped them. And it was, as a matter of fact, a lot of times if they could get the attention of the crowd and in some way impress or or um, win the crowd over. Sometimes they could win the crowd over against the executioner and escape execution. Huh. And I think this was his was device and his, his way his of escaping execution was to continually win over the crowd with humor. And uh, there might even have been a precedent for that, for uh, highwaymen that did that. Yeah. But that was his, his huh. last-ditch effort to prolong the inevitable and, and, and perhaps escape or win them over in order to be released or something. So... That was et- retroactive for me because that was I I, I kind of was in the same boat with it, you. It just felt like until, uh, oh we need to lighten this episode up a little bit. Yeah, and heavy. until we got to the point, until the point I got to the point where I had I, I learned about that. That kind of even made that a lot better for me. Yeah, I liked that part. <laughs> well, I like the fact that the doctor gives him the blank stare at first, and then you could almost see the wheels click into place. That oh, oh. I've done that. <laughs> He's doing me. Okay, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I, I, another, I like that. A, another big, there's another example of how the doctor is so sidelined while being so, also being such a pertinent part of this story. I, I also love the fact that there, <laughs> the guys that come in and, and, uh, Lady Me says she's there, he's been robbing, that's the doctor, he's his sidekick. Uh, he was robbing my house. And so they're going to take him off. And then he's like, you know, uh, how much were you going to get for, <laughs> well, $20 or 20 pounds. And he goes, I actually know where Lady Me keeps her valuables. It's worth at least 30 pounds. And so those guys, a product of the time, completely turned oh, and said, yeah. yeah, you can go. Let us know where the bunny is. You know, I just, I loved that. I think for me, part of why I enjoy it so much is I am a sucker for some of the immortal stories, and especially when they bring something a little bit different, like the memory aspect of it. That's what, like, Interview with a Vampire, part of that's why that's so fascinating. It's not the vampirism in it. It's the immortality that's fascinating to me. Same thing with, like, Dracula. And, and see, other, Louis, I felt, stories. was whiny. Louis was a little Louis whiny. Louis was whiny. Louis was a little whiny. I did not think she was whiny. I got I to disagree with Chrissy. I didn't yeah, find I didn't her. Think was, I didn't think she was whiny. I didn't find her whiny either. Now, I think she. The, I think the she me was, thing, I don't even. I didn't even point. have a problem with. She I, that was making was a, a point. Kind with, of a cool. I call myself me because that's who I am. I love the explanation of anyone who knew me by any other name is gone. So yeah, it, it's instead it's, of just coming up with new names. Again, a little bit of a twist on the doctor. Oh, yeah. I'm not calling myself this. I'm going to call myself the doctor and go off and do this because this is what I do. And she's like, I'm me because it's all about me at this point because I I can't do anything else. That, to me, was a cool aspect of it. I think when Chrissy's saying she was whiny, I think she was trying to make a point. I don't think she necessarily thought she was being whiny, but because of her brooding, she was being whiny. The angst. (laughs) The angst of it, yeah. (coughs) I think what it comes down to, (coughs) I didn't like the lion. Uh, the lion does feel underused I had and a, unnecessary. I had a Glenn anthropomorphized monster yeah, moment. Was, <laughs> because the glowing eyes... <laughs> if there was eyes anything that dark. bothered me, it was the fact that he was alive. <clears throat> the glowing eyes in the dark are cool. What is it? What is it? What is it? And then he steps in and it's a lion. And it's like... 
So okay, goes, maybe it's the guy. Maybe it's the you know a tie-in to that. Oh, and we got a a, a name drop of the pteroleptils, uh, <laughs> the, the the rainbow trout. Yeah, we, we got a, we got a, a drop of that. That was cool. But you know, maybe it's a tie-in to Warriors game. And the, and the game. doctor definitively saying it was the pteroleptils' fault, not his. <laughs> <laughs> sure. He, he stepped out of the shadows, and Sarah goes, "It's Beast." <laughs> Well, it's funny that... Ron Perlman, I'd, look! I'd have been okay with that, too, actually. <laughs> the fourth doctor says that he was blamed for the fire. The fifth doctor realizes what really happened. So the twelfth doctor is now finally saying, no, it was really the two. It wasn't me. He's clearing it up now. <laughs> but Rome... <laughs> Rome was... We still got a pretty Rome much. was definitely the first doctor. Um, Rome, Rome was as well. One of the... In, as far as the details of this go... I really, really thoroughly enjoyed the idea that early in her diaries, her writing wasn't great at all. It was terrible. Well, by the time that he gets oh, a lot further along, yeah. <laughs> by the time he gets further along, her handwriting is very detailed and exquisite. And I thought, that's a product of, t- of writing for so long. You're good. Yeah. It's a really good production that. note. Yeah. 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 Um, the other thing that I liked about it was when he realizes that the pages are tore out. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, there's a reason why those pages are torn out. And that's going to be part of the mystery. And then when ultimately the it's answer just, is, I tear out the ones I don't want to remember, the memories that I don't want. I, I thought they're so painful to was, remember. Yeah, that's just great. Well, I don't can't imagine anything more painful than losing your children because he's making a point. Those pages are still there, and she and then, makes the point <laughs> counterpoint that I, I choose to remind remember that so that I, uh, to I don't remind have any more kids. Have any more yeah. kids. Uh, oh, so well written. Although I got the impression the plague claimed the kids, and a part of me wondered if the plague well, did, wouldn't did they the be kids. partially immortal also? If that's now biologically <laughs> she, a part of she her, she said she got sick, yeah, and got better, and they yeah. got better. So yeah. I think that's still they, the device just in her DNA the, or in her DNA in her physiology is still so it's, it's, not, repair, it's not part of her DNA, but not necessarily something that she would have. Passed well, because she also, I mean, she looked a little older, but still no, very no. much, you know. But you know, she looked older in the sense of the way she she she, she looked wise. She carried older. herself yeah. older. She, yeah, she yeah. looked wisened. She looked experienced. That's how she looked older to me. Well, I think Mel was having trouble with the you know Arya Stark having children. That <laughs> <laughs> that that was she kind of like whoa what well, those and, were her and, kids and it was like well okay well, however old she is well was even, an appropriate age in these yeah days right. to because have children, life expectancy so. is in the thirties yeah the actress is eighteen right so because she didn't she only stopped aging physically she didn't stop aging mentally and and maturely and yeah. all of those elements of right it, yeah. I, I, I struggled with that I a little that bit too until I thought about it yeah because I'm used to thinking of her as the <laughs> the young Arya Stark even though she's not that young on the show anymore either yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course she's older than the what she's supposed to she's be in the book anyway but yeah <laughs> well, even the character in the show is older than the book oh, really? version yeah she's like 12 in the book um, yeah, and I, I mean, I, I can't even pick on I, the, the makeup for the lion was cool. I mean, it, it, it was a good-looking lion, man. I can say that. I don't know but why just, he breathed fire, but other than yeah, yeah okay. other than the fact that we needed well, something to breathe fire. Well, if you're going to have an okay. alien anthropomorphized animal, give it something that makes it alien. <laughs> fire breathing, okay. fire breath, and glowing eyes. I thought that was well. The glowing eyes make sense because he's a cat. 
No, but they like fire breath, they would like they light up and glow without a reflection. It wasn't reflective. Them. Yeah. Oh, cat's eyes do that. It was a. It was a. It was, <laughs> there was a. Cats uh, are uh, evil. There was a source for that light, and it wasn't reflective. But um, yeah, I mean, he just he he was. There was no benefit to the story. By he was he was a tool. He was a means to the end, and I just I don't think he was realized all that great. Uh, if it had been anything but a lion, I think it still would have worked just as well. So. Yeah, they just needed some sort of alien. And... It should have been a rainbow trout. That would have been more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> if we're gonna make the truck, if we're gonna make a callback to it, let's do it. Lipdol's back. <laughs> Anything else on this one? I don't think so. I hope I'm proven wrong. I really, genuinely do. I, I hope that I can come back at the end of the season and now go. That episode makes so much more sense now because they fixed it and they, you know. Well, and I, I wonder if it won't even be this season. It may not be. Although I, I suspect, and with, the, with the, the internet's the final, already a buzz about shot, so. with the final shot. The internet's already a buzz that I think it's episode ten. Everybody's speculating that, that yeah, she'll be back. I think so, but um, and what a cool final shot when <laughs> Clara showed up and oh, here, here's a selfie of this. Yeah, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, not to mention the fake interview with uh, <laughs> Winston Churchill. That was funny. <laughs> you essentially cheated. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do we got coming up on the schedule, Sean? Well, next week on the schedule uh, was the uh, proposed Day of the Doctor uh, for Friday Night Who. And again, we decided to change it to do a little more Halloween-y type episodes. We'll be doing Blink and Listen. So two that are readily available on Netflix or other options uh, for you to join in. So join in for Pete's sake, including you, mister, because Keith and I are tired of talking to ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) And each other. And at each other. Um. Excuse me. You don't have anything, anybody but you guys this week? Yeah, this week it was just two of us. Oh. I think Michelle might have popped in for a little bit. Mitch was there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if she was tweeting, but. I don't think so, but she was there watching. Was she watching? I think so. Or was she just on? (laughs) I don't don't know. (laughs) Anyway. She Um, tweeted me at some point. Uh, We will have a five minute intermission for those who don't have Netflix. So you can swap discs or whatever you need to do to get the next episode good, good, ready. Good, good point of, uh, yeah. So we'll do a second countdown. And so watch that on the tweet stream. And then uh, our show next week will be the Zygon Invasion, which the trailer looked really interesting. Uh, and then uh, the following week for Friday Night Who, uh, November 6th, will be Terror of the Zygons for Friday Night Who, just before... Uh, the Zygon Inversion, which we will be covering in episode number 254. And I don't believe we've got any other changes to the programming at this point uh, that I'm aware of that are coming up. But, well, uh, we're going to add K9, but... <laughs> that's down the road a bit. That's down the road yeah. um, We've also got comics and more Big Finish and all kinds of things that are I on the we schedule. we could do K9 but... and Company that week for Friday Night Ooh. We yeah. could. That would be kind of fun. Put that, put, note that down. <laughs> <laughs> It would also give me an excuse to pop in uh, Invisible Enemy back on there again. Well, that's true. Because you know how much I love that one. <laughs> I Andy, got that one for my birthday. J- just as a note, man, if you're going back and revisiting stories, <laughs> Invisible Enemy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not entirely sure how that would work in a Lethbridge Stewart story, he, but. He goes into space. <laughs> Moonshot. Titan rockets that go to Titan. Hey, there's got to be something in there, right? <laughs> Maybe he goes and doesn't think that he's actually been there. Maybe the swarm comes to Earth. I don't know. Well, there you go. That could work. Be sure that you uh, <laughs> visit our website, www.trimmingthedivartox.com, 
for all kinds of goodies and sundries on there that you can order. And uh, some of that money comes straight to us so that we can put it into this podcast and continue to bring you this show. You can also find us on the various forms of social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr, and Goodreads, and yeah, we're still on Google Plus <laughs> <laughs> until it dies a complete death. And uh, if you got feedback, you can send it to www. No, you can feed, send it to feedback at travelingtovortex.com. Don't forget to get your answers in for the giveaway this week. One subtle note to our Patreon members. Again, thank you very much for your patience. I have everything ready to go, but we have one added uh, bit to the uh, to the thank you package that I've been informed should be ready by the first of the month. So that's when I'm, I'm kind of holding everything until I've got it all together, and then those will... We'll go out. So if you haven't gotten me your address yet, please send it in. You're running out of time. I've been running out of time for <laughs> six months. So. All right. And thank you, everyone, for yes, listening. absolutely. And interacting with us on Facebook and Twitter and supporting us. We can't express how much it means to us. If that's going to do it for this week, until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody, and thanks for listening. Be seeing you. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.